two of the LeafCast. I am your co-host, Taylor Scollin. And I'm Alex Blumenstein. This week on the show, we have two guests, Allison Gordon and Rachel Colick, and we'll be talking about marketing and branding in the marijuana space. But before we get into the interviews, uh, we should talk about the March meetup that's coming up, March 29th. It's really uh, exciting. We've got a ton of uh, signups already. Tickets are on sale at leaftoronto.com. They're going fast, though. Going very fast. I would log on right now, leaftoronto.com. Get your tickets. Uh, you know, we think this month is going to be really interesting. Do you want to talk about the guest a sure. little bit? Sure. So our guest is uh, Michael Lickfer. He's uh, a lawyer with Bennett Jones, and him and the partner there, Hugo Alves, are really the leading experts in the ACMPR in Canada. They see basically every deal that happens in this space and act on almost you know 80% of them. If you are interested in starting a business, running a business, being acquired, investing, all of the business side of the cannabis industry in Canada, as well as their predictions on how the recreational market would develop, this is a can't-miss event. Um, it's going to be super informative. Uh, Lickford's a great guy, super outgoing. Uh, so get your tickets, leaftoronto.com. Okay. And before we get into the interviews, uh, do we, should we roll the ad from our sponsors? We don't have oh, any we don't, sponsors. That's right. We don't have any sponsors. But... So instead of listening to an ad from our sponsors, what you should do is go to iTunes and subscribe to Leaf Toronto. The LeafCast, actually. It's actually called the LeafCast. And write a review. Tell us to get our lines better. Rate and review it, because we're trying to crack that top 200 podcast list, and uh, with your help, we can make it happen. And we've actually made it really easy to do that. You can go to leaftoronto.com slash podcast, and there's a link. You can subscribe to the show in whatever podcast player you choose. So make that happen, and let's get to the interview. We're joined today by Rachel Colick. She is the president and chief strategist for Y Creative, a marketing firm that specializes in cannabis-related products. Welcome, Rachel. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for being here. So why don't you just give us a rundown of what your background is, how you got into this space, and uh, what your interest is in the cannabis space? Yeah, definitely. So I've been um, heading up Y Creative for the last 14 years. Um, and so working with um, entrepreneurial brands, traditionally in the B2B space, although in the last um, five or six years, more in the B2C space, um, working on developing their brand strategy and, and their marketing strategies and, and how they're going to make an impact in the world in the ways that they want to. So in terms of how I got to cannabis, I'm actually a cannabis advocate and user. I've been using cannabis to self-medicate for the last 15 years. Um, and so I've seen it firsthand for myself, the benefits that uh, the cannabis can have in one's life. And so when I got the opportunity to marry my two loves, which is marketing and branding and cannabis, I jumped at the chance. Um, and so I had the opportunity to do that last year with Emblem and we had a great time. And I think we did some fabulous work and have been really proud of, of what they've been able to do. And now why creative is solely focused in this space. It really is a passion for me, not just a job. Uh, and I think cannabis is going to change our our culture and our world in many ways. And I'm super excited to uh, to be in on the ground floor and to be working with the people who are going to make that happen. That's so cool that you've basically brought your whole practice over to the cannabis space and it's what you love. Uh, can you tell us a bit more, maybe talk about Emblem, but talk about it generally as well, about how your creative process works in such a new industry 
when there's really no baseline for what is and what isn't uh, marketing and branding here. Emblem sort of is its own brand in a crowded space. Can you just give us a little bit of uh, your creative thinking? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the greatest thing about building brands is it's not industry specific. So I don't necessarily need to know every aspect of an industry in order to help develop a powerful brand. For me, branding really comes at the heart of the why. So, you know, every single organization on the planet functions on three levels, what you do, how you do it, and why you do it. And of course, most organizations know the answers to the first two, what they do and how they do it, but many of them don't explore the why. And that's case in point, why we're called why creative is we really come um, to branding from that perspective. It's, it's the differentiation point that nobody else can copy. It's the place where you're always unique. Um, and it's the place that, that I find um, really speaks to the heart of your consumer as well um, and really uh, helps them align with your values and your mission and um, what, what you really want to be about in the world, not just what you're selling it or how you're selling it. And so that's really how we approach all brands um, and cannabis brands are no different. And so we really help companies look at why they're in business um, and why anybody should care. <laughs> My three favorite questions are why you, why them, and why now? And so really regardless of the business or what, what industry or vertical you might be in, those are the questions that we're always looking to answer in terms of developing a brand and a go-to-market strategy. Um, and so that's exactly what we did um, with Emblem. You know, I, I really resonated with uh, Maxim Zavitt. They're their um, CEO and and his experience in the cannabis space and what he wanted to create for Emblem, sort of a for the people, by the people, a very democratic brand um, that is really approachable and um, balances the what we like to call the recreational side with the medical side um, and really is all about sort of the cannabis enthusiast. So so that's that's where we came at it from for Emblem and that's really how we develop any brand is really thinking about the why and, and working from there out. That's really interesting. Um, I know you mentioned to me, and we don't need to get into the detail of it because I don't think you're there yet, that you're working on some of your own lines, uh, female focus, and that's some of your approach to marketing is also a female focused uh, marketing approach. Uh, can you give us a little more insight into what you see as the profile of a female cannabis consumer? Yeah, uh, my favorite subject. <laughs> um, I think the female can cannabis consumer is as varied and diverse as women are themselves. So I, you know, I, I, I caution anyone to paint sort of a broad stroke of sort of women all in one bucket. However, I think there are some fundamental drivers and behaviors that female consumers demonstrate. Um, and therefore things that brands, especially cannabis brands, can think about when developing their strategies. I think a couple of key things are... Um, if, if the consumer economy had a sex, it is female. So um, make no mistake that the global economy um, is driven 70, 80 to 80% by purchases that are driven by a female. So whether she's buying that herself or influencing that buying decision, um, we're almost always the ones driving, driving those behaviors. And so I think um, women have long been ignore, ignored by brands, and uh, you'll see that in many, many um much research that's been done that asks women about the marketing and the brands that they buy from, and many of them state that they feel like brands don't understand them. Um, I think that partially that comes from 80% of our advertising agencies are headed up by men, 
Um, so I think there are some things to keep in mind that are um, really important, no matter what you're selling. And females, 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 females is definitely something everyone needs to be keeping in mind. Um, so, and, and the experience of a female, really thinking about uh, gender as being um, a demographic that you need to consider. You know, the world in which men and women grow up in and participate in is quite different. And so thinking about um, gender and the female experience is going to be really important. Women are very service driven. So we have higher expectations of customer service and uh, respond favorably to brands that really go that extra little mile and create thoughtful and meaningful experiences. Women are much more about experiences than buying things. Um, so they're really looking for brands that take the time to get to know them, that take the time to um, take care of them, that take the time to go that extra mile. I think women as well, and we're seeing this in a trend in a lot of companies, but really are um, focused on the impact that companies are having, um, both in their local communities and in things like in the environment and how companies are actually giving back and creating a better world um, for, for women, for men, for children, for anyone. But really, what else is a company doing other than selling me stuff is, is really what we, a question that women are always asking. I think... Uh, one of the things that I'm most excited in is, you know, the is this couple of the the female demographics right now, the the 50 plus market, what we uh, like to call the baby boomer market, are the healthiest, wealthiest, and most act active generation of women in history, and I think that's going to be a really interesting um, opportunity for the brands that see that opportunity and want to step into that space. I think they're um, is, is a great amount of growth, especially in the cannabis industry in that market alone. So those are a few things that I think women are particularly looking for. I think there's a lot there and it's incredibly interesting what you're saying. I'm curious if you have any insights on what the routine is or the social settings or how the, that demographic you were just talking about, the women over 50, what's, the, what's their relationship with cannabis? I mean, can you, do you, do you know about yeah. that? Have they... Yeah, you know, it, it really varies. I have to tell you, I've, I've spoken to a lot of women in that demographic, and it really varies. And what it varies by is, did they ever try it when they were younger? So are they part of the hippie, the hippie resurgence from the 60s? Um, and, and that, as, as well for many consumers, is their previous experience usually dictates how their, their level of interest um, today um, versus maybe the research that's out there or what they might even know about cannabis. Their previous experience or someone else they know's previous experience is, is usually um, more of an indicator of their buying behaviors than anything else. But so I think there's sort of two camps. There's the camps that tried it um, before and had a very bad experience and so have are like, I, I haven't touched it in 40 years and I'm not, I'm never going back. And then there's, you know, the ones who tried it before and loved it and it was part of their life then and they're they're bringing it back into their life now as they get older and they're experiencing, you know, some of the things that happen as we age, um, chronic pain and, and, thing, and, you know, aging diseases and things like that, that cannabis of course has been shown, to, you know, to be so helpful with. So again, I, there's not a broad stroke. I think you can brush them with. I really think that each consumer is unique. Um, but I think there is uh, great strides to be made in that subset, um, you know, with opiates, um, getting a worse and worse rap every day, they're really looking for alternatives um, that will allow them to lead an active, healthy lifestyle for longer. 
Um, you know, what, what was 70, um, you know, 20 years ago looks very different these days. You know, women traditionally, no matter their demographic trend, 20 years younger than their previous counterparts. Um, so it, it really is, you know, what was, it, it's kind of the whole 40 is the new 20, well, 70 is the new 50. So, um, you, you know, I, I really think there's going to be an opportunity there um, for, for, the com- for certain companies to step up and really serve that market in a meaningful way. What do you think that people of that demographic are looking for in a cannabis brand? Because, you know, when I think of cannabis brands, I typically think of very hip, trendy, young looking brands. But, you know, we're talking about people, you know, in their 60s and 70s. What, what are the sort of attributes of a brand that they appeals to them? Yeah, I think, um, you know, if you want to stereotype that they're going to be more medical users, I think you can talk about things like um, trust. So trust is going to be huge um, and um, efficacy. So do, do you have, does a company offer the wide variety of medicine, medicine that helps a wide variety of ailments so that they can um, hyper select and get the, the greatest benefits from what they're looking for. So I think, I think that would be something I definitely think, I mean, listen, your grandmother is probably not going to buy from Tweed. Right. So I think there is something to consider about um, branding is important to everybody and branding is important because it creates an alignment of, of values with, with a company. So I think they'll, they'll be looking for companies that um, express the same values that they have. So uh, price point is going to be an important thing, although, again, they certainly have a lot of money, many of them across the board. Um, they tend to be a little bit more frugal than perhaps our generation um, or the generations coming up behind us, the millennials might be, um, or price conscious, I would say. Price conscious is a, probably a better way to say it. Um, you know, I think, I, I don't want to say necessarily more pharmaceutical because, you know, there's certain connotations that come with the word pharmaceutical. Um, but certainly, I think they're not going to be, um, you know, the celebrity endorsed brands necessarily. Um, or those hipster type brands that you might see, you you'll get the odds that that float in and out for sure. But um, but I, I think there's going to have to be some brands that that are more focused on that unique subset and can serve that subset in, in the ways that they're looking for for sure. Continuing on sort of these this dividing up the market, I, a lot of people like to compare or are thinking to compare the cannabis market to the alcohol market and. Do you, do you see a similar development coming and like what other subsets of the market can be developed? And I'm kind of thinking about this in the lens of, you know, Grey Goose at one end and Alberta Premium on the other. Do you see a, uh, the same ability to sell luxury, a luxury brand and a, you know, a bargain brand? Because can branding do enough to help people understand the difference between the strains which an actual consumer might not be able to tell. Can, 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 you, can you build that perception through brands? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think, I think it's a, a fair comparison for now to compare cannabis to alcohol. Um, uh, I think it's difficult at this point in time to identify who might be the Bud Light or, or the Grey Goose of, of our current market. I'm not sure there's enough dif- differentiation or enough opportunity for, for, for branding right now to really say, of the 38 LPs, who would be what at the moment. But I think in the coming years, uh, cannabis will become 
what we call a CPG brand, a consumer packaged good brand um, found in one form or another in every household across, across the country. So there will be lots of room for different types of brands that cater to different markets or subsets of the markets. If you looked at similar categories like wine, let's say, um, you can start to see how, how the market might begin to unfold. There are consumers um, in the wine industry that pay hundreds or sometimes even thousands of dollars for a single bottle of wine. And they're very concerned about the grapes that were in that wine and which, which season they were grown in and which region they were grown in and how it was um, aged and fermented and bottled and all of those different things. And they very much care about that. And they, um, um, they seek out brands that then can meet that expectation. And then there's the, you know, the whole group of people who go to the LCBO on a Friday or Saturday night and buy a $9 bottle of wine because it tastes good. Uh, and it goes down easy and it gives you the relaxing effects that you might want. And then there's everything in between that you see on all the LCBO shelves. And so I think absolutely there will be an opportunity. All of that will be dependent, of course, on the legislation and legalization as it comes out in terms of the opportunities that brands have to really talk about the product that they sell and the differentiation in what that product can do for you. Um, but I think there, we're already starting to see different consumers and you're already starting to see a variance of the brands that exist. Um, you know, there are the more quote, and I'm doing, I am doing air quotes, quote, medical consumers um, that, that are more pharmaceutical focused, want things more in a pill form or a tincture form, want certain formulations to treat um, specific diseases and ailments. So they're looking for those hyper-specific formulations of cannabinoids and terpenes and whatnot. There's the canisseurs, um, as people are, are fondly calling them right now, who understand terpenes and phenotypes and um, you know, they, they take pride in knowing those things and knowing the different strain names, knowing where they come from, um, knowing if they're an indica sativa and, you know, high THC, low THC, those kinds of things. And they are more concerned with the smells and the tastes and the experiences that cannabis helps them create in their life. Um, and, and perhaps the clout it might give them with their friends. Uh, and then there's the quote rec user who is potentially just looking for um, a mood altering experience or the, that traditional high uh, on a weekend to relax or have some fun with their friends or whatnot. So I think there already is some differentiation and I think you can start to see um, by the LPs that exist right now and the kinds of consumers that are signing up with them that that, that alignment's already starting to take place. I think it's just going to continue to get even more diverse and you'll um, and they'll, the LPs will start to create even more opportunities for differentiation in the strains that they, they develop and the methods of consumption that they develop and in the way that they talk about those things. Obviously, that's where the branding aspect comes in is how are you, how are you talking about that and how are you making other people care about those things as well? And, you know, and then people find people buy people, right? So they, they align with the brands that they feel like most represents them as a person. So I, I absolutely think there's going to be a ton of market segmentation and differentiation it's, it's just going to be interesting to see sort of how that rolls out over time uh, with the legislation here in Canada. Great. And uh, we asked this, we put this question to our other guests today, and I think it's an interesting way. I'm putting it on the spot a bit, but uh, who's doing a great job with brand in Canada and the United States? What are cannabis brands that you really like and what are they doing right? Oh, <laughs> that does put me on the spot just a little, but 
Um, uh, well, I mean, not to toot my own horn, but obviously we're very proud of what we did with Emblem. It is a great brand. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, you know, a lot of people point to Tweed, and I think there's a couple of reasons why. Tweed um, is very vocal, and they've done a lot more of the branding, the creating an experience, than perhaps some of the other um, LPs have been able to do so far. I I think a, a lot of other of them are planning on it and coming up on the heels of Tweed, but Tweed certainly has um, come out sort of in the forefront. They've created alliances with celebrities, which has really uh, solidified their brand in a very specific market. And so you can argue whether or not that's a good strategy or, or whatnot, and we won't argue that, but it is a strategy to have, and uh, and it's one way to go. And only time will tell whether or not that is effective for them in the long term, but it seems to be effective for them so far with the current uh, consumers that are willing to go through the LP market and purchase their cannabis uh, in that particular way. Um, you know, I think it's interesting, and, and there are so many brands in, in the U.S., obviously, um, you know, Leafs by Snoop is, again, a brand that creates a lot of traction and people like to talk about their packaging and um, and whatnot as being very beautiful and very well executed. And I, and I wouldn't disagree. Um, again, they serve a very specific, in my mind, a very specific subset of the market. So it, I think when I look at branding um, in cannabis, it feels very single focused right now. Uh, I can't wait to see more differentiation. I think a lot of a lot of people are focusing on the uh, millennial hipster kind of market or or the previously consumer cannabis consumer market. So people who are already quite familiar with cannabis, already think it's a part of their life, already identify um, with it on in a major way sort of as part of who they are. And I'm interested to see in the brand the brands who are really going to notice that there's a whole bunch of other people standing behind that very, what is actually quite a very small group of people. So a lot of people who have never tried cannabis um, have no idea what it could do for them, um, but are open and really interested based on everything that's happening and everything that they're hearing or that they saw somebody else that they know, or lots of people are experiencing obviously can cancer in their life or chronic disease and are looking for alternative health, um, health and wellness um, options in their life. And so I think, I'm excited at the diversification that can and should and will happen in the industry. Um, and I think that um, it would be short-sighted for a lot of brands to think that sort of the existing market is the only market available. Rachel Kolick, President and Chief Strategist at Y Creative. Uh, you've been incredibly informative. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much, guys. I love what you're doing out there. Keep up the great work. Uh, and thanks so much for having me. It's been a blast. Uh, great interview, Alex. Well done. Oh, thank you. Uh, next I'm up. Working we, on that. Yeah. Well. If you it, like my interview style, and even if you don't like my interview <laughs> style, March 29th, I'll be speaking with Michael Lickfer at Bright Lane in Toronto. LeafToronto.com. Get your ticket today. Good. Thank you. That's how you do a plug. Okay, our next guest is Allison Gordon from Delshin. Delshin is a licensed producer here in Ontario. Let's roll that tape. Our guest now is Allison Gordon. She has uh, an interesting experience in the healthcare side and the cannabis side. Um, she was at a charity, a nonprofit called Rethink Breast Cancer, 
After that, she joined Weed MD, and now she is with the 39th licensed producer, Del Shen. Um, Allison, can you sort of just give us the highlights of your career, how you went, what you did with Rethink, how that brought you into cannabis, what you did with Weed MD, and how you got to where you are now? Sure. Um, thank you guys so much for having me on your podcast. Uh, so basically I started out as an academic and from there I founded an organization called Rethink Breast Cancer and this is back about 16 years ago. Back then everything for breast cancer was very much about pink ribbons and teddy bears and geared towards older women and we were a group of women in our 20s that were affected by the cause in different ways. And we saw all this amazing stuff happening out there in the world of AIDS with fashion cares. And we just thought, why isn't there anything like this for breast cancer? We cared about the cause. We wanted to get involved. We wanted to be educated about our risks. And so we decided to start an organization and call it Rethink Breast Cancer. And it really was geared towards young women. So that was sort of the intention to begin with was just to get out there, do fun events, you know, raise awareness, raise some money, give it to research. And that's, you know, what we were planning to do. Um, at that time, there really wasn't very many, if any, not-for-profits that were sort of marketing focused, right? So everything for diseases were, you know, one in nine women will get breast cancer. So you really should check your breasts. And we were taking a completely different approach. We really wanted people to think about breast self-exams and we wanted to brand the cause and we wanted to work with um, corporate companies out there that had the same audience as ours. And we sort of intuitively understood because there was no example out there, not just in Canada, but in North America of a um, not-for-profit or cancer organization that was sort of using marketing as a way to engage people and to raise funds through companies, as I said, that wanted to speak to your audience. So very quickly, our organization grew and young women who had breast cancer started coming to us and saying, we love what you do. We love what you're about. Can't you do work with us, we don't feel like we fit in anywhere at the hospital. Most people are in their 60s. The support groups, you have women in their 60s and 70s. They've been married for 40 years. You know, I'm 26 years old. I've been seeing my boyfriend for six months. How do I tell him that I'm having a double mastectomy? These aren't the issues that are being discussed in these groups. So, mm. you know, we were two young women who started the organization and we were only about a year old when this started. And we just thought, oh, God, how could we possibly get into patient work? It just seems so overwhelming. But slowly but surely, we started by raising money and funding other groups to create specific support programming for young women. And of course, being the micromanagers that we are, <laughs> um, we started to take over those programs ourselves because we really felt like it had to be very different for young women. So for example, our support groups across the country were held in, at Lululemon. So we had a partnership with Lululemon and they let us use their stores after hours to hold our support groups and women could shop and we'd have David's tea. And it just, we really felt it was important that young women going through breast cancer were already going through enough um, 
with this disease and already, you know, being forced into early menopause and all of these things that we wanted them to have something that felt familiar. So that started my journey uh, working with patients and young women tend to unfortunately have a more aggressive form of breast cancer. So we were dealing with a lot of different types of patients and unfortunately often going into metastatic or palliative and um, you know, that sort of led us onto the journey for the organization of also getting into advocacy. So working with the government to try and make changes to better serve young Canadian women um, as they go through this breast cancer journey. So that's sort of where um, my career really, I mean, I had been working in advertising, as I said, I was an academic, but we started Rethink Breast Cancer in 2001. And for 14 years, I was there running the organization before I decided to make a change and go into the medical cannabis arena. And to, I think most people outside the industry, that jump sounds like quite a leap. How did it right. happen for you? I mean, is it was it obvious? Was it something that just came up? or? You know what? I mean, for me, what it was about was about, you know, 13 years ago, I had a family member that was diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer. She was an uh, older woman who had never used marijuana cannabis before. And um, ultimately, she did start to get medical cannabis through the old MMAR program. And that sort of sparked my interest. I'd say that was probably about 10 years ago. I didn't know there was a medical cannabis program in Canada. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute, someone needs to rebrand cannabis the way we rebranded breast cancer. I mean, it's generally about, you know, hippies or rappers. And um, I myself was an occasional recreational user. So I thought, okay, look, I'm an upstanding citizen. I have two children. I run a breast cancer charity that's national. I work with young women with breast cancer. Like, why is this, you know, so vilified or, as I said, you know, hippies and rappers. And so that was 10 years ago, I started thinking about it. But I was really, you know, loved what I was doing at Rethink. And I was happy and I felt fulfilled there. So it just was something that just kept percolating and percolating. And then about four or five years ago, I was like, okay, are you going to do anything with this thought? What's going on? And I started to look into it and saw that the regulations were going to be changing in Canada and things were happening. And I thought, okay, this is the time to, you know, make that change. Um, with regards to the experience I had, I didn't even realize at the time, as I said, I was approaching this or my thought about going into this career was based out of the fact that you know, I had a, a family member who was using medical cannabis and it was working really well for her. And at the same time, I was interested in this industry from a personal perspective. But once I went out there and I started speaking to people um, that were putting in applications for the new at the time um, now called the ACMPR program, I realized, oh my God, this is actually the perfect industry for me because of my experience with patients, with physicians, with governments. And right now in Canada, as I'm sure you're all aware, it is a medical program. So it made perfect sense. And then that coupled with the fact that, you know, I had started an organization and grown it nationally and ran it for 14 years, 
I was an entrepreneur in that way and, and a marketer as well. So, you know, I had been recognized along with my partner, MJ, for changing the face of breast cancer. We'd been on the cover of Marketing Magazine a few times in top 10 marketers of the year. So it was like this kind of complete package that made sense for the cannabis industry where we, I had the marketing, I had the entrepreneurial and I had the government, the physician and the patient experience. So that led me down a path to start talking to as many people as possible that were going to be working in the industry, had to put in applications. And as you said at the beginning, I wound up taking a position as the, as the chief marketing officer for and soon to be licensed at that time, um, producer called WeedMD. Great. And I mean, I think, your, uh, I think your journey is really interesting. And what you did with Rethink is uh, a great rebranding exercise. And the fit for you to move between Rethink and marijuana, you know, made a lot of sense. But can you talk to us about how with Rethink, with WeedMD, um, and what you still do with Rethink as, as a board member, how patients sort of reacted to the idea of cannabis or how they react? Is it an easy sell? Is it a hard sell? And what the industry can learn um, from your experience in communicating with patients on medical cannabis? Oh, that's a lot of questions. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm still very much involved with Rethink Breast Cancer. I'm on the board and when something's your baby like that, you never leave. Um, I think what's interesting, as I said, when I made the decision to go into the cannabis industry, I don't know that I was really looking at it as a medicine, to be honest with you. Uh, that experience for me over the past three and a half years has changed a lot. And I recognize um, that it is a medicine. And I've been educated by some incredible people who've been working in this field long before most of us got interested in what we're now calling the cannabis industry. And for Rethink, I, you know, I approached them, um, the team back there and said, you know, I think this is something that if you go out and talk to our patient, um, our patients that we work with, you know, through social media, et cetera, uh, you're going to see that this is something that they're really interested in and confused about. And so we did that and we went out to our patient groups and it was the case that many people were, had been hearing about medical cannabis and unsure whether or not they should use it or what they would use it for, or how they would talk to their doctor. And so we think, um, we worked to create a medical cannabis program to both educate people about, you know, how does cannabis work? What can it be used for? And also to educate people about the ACMPR program, which is, you know, the legal way that you can get medical cannabis in this program. And really the response has been amazing because as I said, many patients are unclear as to what is going on in the world of cannabis. They see these dispensaries popping up, then they see news that there's bad things at the dispensary. And as you can imagine, you're already, you know, especially for young people going through something like breast cancer, you're already suddenly thrust into this whole world of hospitals and doctors and radiologists and on and on and on. So to now suddenly start trying to figure out how you're going to navigate the world of medical cannabis, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know. So that's what, you know, I've really been trying to do with at Rethink is to help educate patients and simplify the process for them. I, I want to probe a little deeper if I can on patient perception of medical cannabis. Sure. 
uh, I mean, I, a lot of people, even uh, we've talked a lot outside of this podcast, and you've said people come to you all the time and say, so-and-so is uh, suffering. Um, uh, I want to talk to you about medical cannabis. What are the like? What do they ask specifically? What are, are they saying? Will it help, or do they get into the details? And how do you answer those questions? And how can the industry as a whole do a better job of communicating with patients as a whole um, about the big questions that come up about medical cannabis? Yeah, I mean, I think once you start working in the cannabis industry, it's not uncommon. I have colleagues, and we wind up taking a lot of calls from a lot of people about. Um, themselves or family members who are interested or wanting to figure out something as you're asking. So I think there's a very large variety. Um, I have people who have a prescription through a clinic for pain or something, um, and then they're just absolutely confused as to which licensed provider to go with. And the uh, prescribing physician may have said, okay, you're looking for a one-to-one ratio of THC to CBD. This just means nothing to them. And a lot of people, especially of an older generation, they aren't used to sort of probing their doctor and asking questions, or maybe they don't want to seem stupid. So they go, okay. And then they sort of ask around and somehow find, you know, their friend's daughter who works in cannabis, me. <laughs> and and then I spend time with them going through the different licensed producers website and trying to see who has one-to-one and that, you know, it's that there's all that kind of stuff where it's just navigating what's already in the system Um, I think there's a lot of patients out there who it's really, this is, I would say the bulk of what I see is that they are, they have tried everything else. Um, especially if it's an older generation, someone from the older generation. So they are, again, often it's chronic pain. So they have tried all the opioids. They don't like the way it makes them feel. They've lived with the pain as long as they can possibly live with the pain. And then they've been hearing through the news about the medical cannabis program and somehow get connected with me. And their question really is, you know, does this work? Am I don't like to feel high. Am I going to feel high? I don't want to be out of it, um, you know, because they've already maybe turned off the opioids for that reason. So again, I'm not a doctor, but I have enough experience. And I've, as I said, been educated by some incredible people so I can speak to them about things to try. And that's really what the message even within Health Canada and for physicians and that I try and give as well as, you know, just try, start slow, go low, start slow or whatever that expression is. And that's, uh, to me, you know, it's the kind of thing that you can try it. And if it doesn't, isn't for you, then, you know, move on. The other challenge for patients, um, some that reach out have tried and it doesn't work. They think it doesn't work for them, meaning, it either isn't taking care of the symptom that they're trying to deal with or they are not liking the way it makes them feel mentally. So again, there's this educational component about the cannabinoids, about THC levels and CBDs, and that's also challenging because it is a plant-based medicine. So you have this very personalized approach that needs to be taken. Everybody needs to kind of figure out what's going to work for them, which does make it challenging for physicians and patients um, because it's really not one size fits all at, at all. And, 
you know, and you can see in some of the Facebook live sessions that I've done with Rethink Breast Cancer and talking to patients, they, you know, some of their regimens are really, really quite intensive. So they've figured out for themselves over the course of months that they need to do a CBD in the morning and they need to smoke it and then they need to ingest something and then a tincture. And, you know, it takes time to kind of find that balance that's going to help treat the symptom and at the same time, um, help manage your, let's say pain, if that's what you're trying to do. So, I mean, that's kind of a very broad, um, sense of what some of the patients are working with and dealing with them. And I think from an industry perspective, you, have this challenge of how do you educate people because there isn't one size fits all. So I think what a lot of the different licensed producers and cannabis organizations and um, compassion clubs are trying to do is just get that message out that you go start slow, go low, and you're just going to have to sort of journal or use an app and keep track of what you're doing and sort of find that balance for yourself. And Quite frankly, you know, it's not necessarily untrue of pharmaceuticals. It's not like 10 milligrams of any one particular pharmaceutical is going to impact everyone the same way. But for some reason with cannabis, there's this unknown that causes a bit more fear in patients. That's really interesting. And I think one of the things I picked up on is there's a need for lots of education and the medical community is like is a gatekeeper to the medical cannabis um, access and they would probably be the best position to provide a lot of that education but it sounds like there's you know a number of barriers for physicians to prescribe can you talk to us a little bit about those barriers and what can and should and needs to be done to overcome those barriers right well, I mean, I think that it it is question, a questionable point whether or not physicians should, you know, be the ones required to educate because That's fair. I think one of the challenges is that while physicians do continuing education, depending on your age and when you graduated from med school, a lot of this might be new to you. And not only that, it is quite complicated cannabis. I mean, I have you know, been in the industry for four years. As I said, I've been blessed to work with some incredible people like Mark Richardson and Hillary Black, who are extremely knowledgeable of the plant and have been working with patients for many, many years. And I'm still just feel like I'm scratching the surface of it. So, you know, there's part of me that that wonders if it's way too much to ask of, let's say, a general practitioner to literally understand all the different strains, all the different cannabinoids, all the different doses, possibilities, related to all the different ailments, like it is quite specialized, I would say. So I don't, I don't know, you know, I don't have an answer. That's just my personal opinion that I can't imagine that any general practitioner, I mean, they don't know everything about dermatology. That's why you go see a dermatologist, right? So I, when we say physician, obviously you might mean specialist or general practitioner, but I do think that it is um, something that requires someone who's educated themselves in this area. With regards to barriers to physicians, even if they are educated, I would say, you know, I just spoke to the first one, which is it feels difficult to prescribe something that you don't know that much about. 
um, one of the challenges for them under the ACMPR program is that there really is not a lot of options um, to what you can prescribe. So right now, all you're allowed is the dried flour, which is essentially what you think of when you think of someone rolling a joint or stuffing a vaporizer. It's just that, you know, green flour. Um, and then one sort of form of an extract that's like a tincture. And so what the challenge for physicians is, as you can imagine, you know, someone comes in and they have pain and you're saying, okay, why don't you try medical cannabis? And then you're just sort of saying, so go, let's start with, you know, X amount of grams a day and maybe you'll roll a joint with this much in it. Like, it's just not precise. That's not how doctors think. Doctors work in dosage. And we think of everything else, antibiotics, all these things, they can prescribe a pill. It's got, you know, this many milligrams of amoxicillin or whatever it is, and that's how they think. So part of the challenge is that the ACMPR program needs to evolve to a place where you have more of the extracted um, products available that can be dosed. And that will provide a bigger comfort level for physicians so they'll feel more comfortable in what they're prescribing. And when the patient comes back to report on how they're feeling, you know, again, right now it would be like, so I rolled some of that in a joint. (laughs) It's just not precise and that's probably an uncomfortable space for doctors. So that, that will be a huge thing that needs to happen is the ability for doctors to dose. And then the next thing is, of course, clinical research. So, you know, the medical community is obviously founded on clinical research. Pharmaceutical companies are required to do major, major research, um, double blind, all of that uh, before a drug gets approved to market. So we don't have that research on cannabis. It's starting, but we don't have a lot of it partially or in large part, I would say, because in the U.S. it's been a Schedule One drug. So that's made it very difficult for people to do research on it. But you're seeing research coming out of Israel and hopefully more in Canada that will provide the evidence that physicians need to feel comfortable with it. Um, as someone who's in this industry and an advocate in this industry, I do hope that more and more physicians, as they hear from their patients, it isn't obviously clinical research, but just seeing um, some of the things that their patients are reporting, the improvements or ways that they're feeling could also, I think, shift perception. So that's why it's really important that the patient story get out there in the media and that um, more and more of that gets heard. Thanks. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of room to grow for the medical community and the research community to build a broader consensus on medical cannabis. And you've been a a great resource uh, on this discussion about patient care and (laughs) medical cannabis. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think at heart, you're you're a marketer. So I want to give you a chance to, you know, tell us a little bit about um, uh, in Canada, US, uh, in the rec markets in the US, what brands do you think are just doing a great job and why do you like them? Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, in Canada, we obviously don't have a lot of product brands and the licensed producers are quite limited in, in what they can do mm-hmm. um, by way of branding and marketing. So, you know, we could look to the black market. <laughs> sure. I mean, whatever you um, think is doing a job. There. Yeah, I mean, I think that... Um, 
there's a couple companies that I really like. My friends down in California, uh, Lord Jones, I think they're doing an amazing job. They created more of a luxury high-end brand, which nobody was really doing. So again, 10 years ago, when I was looking to rebrand cannabis, that was my thought. Why is it, as I said, about wrappers and hippies and homemade cellophane packaging? So Lord Jones is created some incredible edible products as well as CBD creams that I think is amazing. The packaging is beautiful. They're High Times Best New Edible. They've been in Elle magazine. They've been in Fast Company. So I think they're doing a great job. And I would say that part of it is like as simple as the fact that they just rethought packaging in some ways and said, we're going to make this look like the way that other products, luxury products look. Um, and then also really doing proper work in terms of product development. So that's really key. And that'll be key moving forward. You can have the most beautiful package in the world, but you know, the product has to be great and their product is great tasting and they're sourcing, you know, ingredients from all over the world. So I would say that's one that I definitely, um, love and think is doing a great job down there in California. Um, I mean, a while ago I thought, was very interested in Juju joints. I haven't seen them around lately, uh, but I thought that they were one of the first to market with the disposable pen uh, in Canada and in some of the States. And I thought that that was just a really interesting idea. Now it's common. They have, everybody has their own pen, but at the time, this idea that people want something discreet that they can shove into their pocket, that looks nice, uh, that they can just pull out, and take a hit off of and nobody would even smell anything was I thought really innovative and the branding that went along with it in terms of trying to say this is a lifestyle I thought was very interesting because nobody had sort of taken this cannabis product and said actually like we're going to use technology and we're going to make it a change in a lifestyle so I found it fascinating that a lot of my friends even as the market was evolving would be using other pens that weren't juju joints, but they were calling it juju, like Kleenex, right? So, you know, Kleenex is obviously the brand. It's really tissue, but we call all, all tissue Kleenex. And I found that that was starting with juju. Now, I don't know where they've gone, <laughs> but that was last year. And I thought, like, that was quite interesting that they were able to quarter that market and actually have people call all pens jujus. Allison Gordon, um, marketer, patient advocate. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you guys so much. All right, that's the show. That was episode two of the LeafCast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. You can do that easily at leaftrown.com slash podcast or on iTunes, or whatever podcast player you prefer. Reminder that we have our March meetup coming up if you're in Toronto. March 29th, that's a Wednesday, not a Tuesday like last time. So if you have big commitments on Tuesdays, I don't know, maybe you're going to the movies. Well, everyone had blocked off their Tuesdays for Leaf events. Right, so, so it's free now. It's free now. Yeah. You're welcome. But your Wednesday is now booked. Yeah, just start blocking off your whole weeks. Yeah, that's the safest thing to do. You can get your tickets for that at leaftoronto.com. Those are going quickly. I think there's about 30, 25 left as of this recording, so do not hesitate. Do not. Get on it right now. 
once again, I am Taylor Scollin. And I'm Alex Bluenstein. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Yeah.